they're all laboring together. Um, it's sort of like the first day of school. Can you imagine um, kids coming into the classroom and just sitting down uh, in a circle, um, just not saying anything, and just sitting there for the for the class and just studying the self. Um, it's kind of a novel idea. No, no jabbering. Um, and that sense of you know keeping that sense of curiosity and who's going to be my teacher and who's going to be in my class and what are we going to learn and you know, we we come to the zendo in that spirit of waking up in the morning and going to the first day of class first day of school every day is waking up and the first day of school the school of living the school of living so Welcome, welcome to Owan, Owan Zendo, the School of Living. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for taking the time to join the class. There's no imperative. Your, your mom isn't going to punish you if you don't come to school. So this is, this is, a, this is free will that you show up in class. So thank you. Uh, we are moving toward the completion of our study of the precepts. Um, of course, I'm sure we will revisit them again, uh, probably in the not too near future, not too far future. Um, I'm going to uh, address the tenth precept uh, today, and it's a kind of tricky precept because um, it, it the, it's the precept of not disparaging the three treasures, not demeaning the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And I spent a good bit of time considering what that might mean, what it might mean to disparage the three treasures. Um, I can imagine that if we lived in a monastery, um, there might be ways if, in which we had a daily connection with uh, monks and nuns and teachers and masters, and there might be opportunities for uh, a lot of um, sort of argumentation and gossip and um, kind of breaking or not observing the other precepts, which would be a way of demeaning the practice. Um, so what might it mean for us as lay practitioners to, who have, you don't have a, uh, you know, a consistent monastic experience, to what, it might, what might it mean to disparage the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And I'd like to substitute the three treasures. I'd like to substitute the practice for the three treasures because that is what 
that is what the three treasures are. There are practice. Being, being Buddha, practicing being awake, practicing understanding and engaging the teachings, the Dharma, and nourishing the Sangha, that is, contributing and being an active member of the community of practice. So all of these aspects of the three treasures really are about our practice. So what might it mean to disparage or demean our practice? And of course, each one of us has to discover that for him or herself. But one of the ways in which we can disparage the practice is by not really understanding what our practice is and making it something it isn't. That is, reducing it to something it isn't. And in that sense, we are not holding it at, we're not holding those jewels, those three jewels, and recognizing what they really are, which are precious jewels. So what are some of the ways we misunderstand or misconceive this practice and thus reduce it, demean it, disparage it? Not in, in a way of attacking it, but not respecting what it really is. Sometimes we treat this practice as a form of temporary relief from stress. That's not what it is. We can certainly use it and it does have that kind of effect, but it isn't deeply what practice is. It's not a situation in which we say, oh, I'm feeling really stressed out today, and I'm gonna just sit down and meditate because that'll calm me down. Yes, that is some aspect of practice, but it isn't the deepest aspect of practice. It's not a temporary, pill for you to pop when things get stressful. And if you treat it that way, as fundamentally what it is, then you are mistaking what the deepest aspect of practice is. What we might say is really the sacredness of practice. This is a a word we don't use very much and perhaps don't even uh, uh, find in our lives. The word, the, the word sacred. And if you ask yourself, what, what does it mean for something to be sacred? Something like our practice to be precious, to be a jewel. And sometimes it's called a priceless teaching you, you, there's no way to measure its beauty, 
its meaningfulness, its profundity, its vastness. So if all you're doing is using it as a pill for temporary relief, you're missing its sacredness. And in that sense, you are demeaning what it truly is. In this line of, of thinking, treating the practice as a therapy, a psychotherapy, is also not quite holding it to be sacred because it's beyond psychotherapy. It's, it's as close as a spiritual path gets, perhaps, to psychotherapy because it is transformative and psychotherapy, as any therapy, presumes to be transformative. It's supposed to change you in some way. But our practice is not about changing you. It's about discovering who you always were and always will be and always are. So the change is not that you go from sort of being somewhat sick or disordered or uh, maladjusted to being well-adjusted, to being healthy, to being cured. It's not about that kind of transformation. The change is not that you become someone different, but that you become someone who you really are. So it's not about looking for something beyond the self, beyond who you've always been and always will be. So to think of it as, well, I'm, I, there's something wrong with me and I have to be cured and I'm maladjusted, I have this disorder, I'm anxious, I have the anxiety disorder if I'm depressed or I, you know, I'm obsessive-compulsive and, and this practice is going to cure me, uh -uh. you're making a mistake. It actually may make you more, more aware of your, your behaviors, your, your mind, the way your mind works, the way your emotions work. And it actually may, may make it worse for a while because it's something you don't want to face. And you want someone else, some kind of th therapist to help you get through it. It, it, only you can find out who you really are. Many people use this practice. They think that it's going to bring you to some kind of state of bliss. That you're going to like levitate. <laughs> you're going to find this zone they call it sometimes. I'm just going to find this zone of bliss. And you can see some images of meditators who are like, they just look like they are in heaven. Uh, I think you know, even with the little bit of practice that you've had, and some of you much more than a little bit, it's not about bliss. It's difficult. It's difficult this way 
is not an easy way. And most of the, and, and, and there is that, that uh, misconception. And of course, there are some forms of meditation out there which promise this, which promise that you're going to sort of rise up and you're going to be in a constant state of equanimity and peace. And that's not Zen. That's not our practice. Our practice is to be with what is. And if what is, is suffering, is anger, is jealousy, is fear, is depression, is anxiety, that's it. So if you're looking for, and if you're coming here, and, and there have been many people who have arrived at Owan Zendo, who are looking for that, and they don't last long. There's some other place to go, absolutely. There are other forms of meditation which do promise that, but this is not what Zen is. On the other hand, this is not a practice in which you attain anything so if you're coming here and thinking you're going to progress, you're misunderstanding. Even though I've often, my, my teacher has often said, this is a mark of demotion, not promotion. And the more you practice, the more you realize that you become more and more what we call a person of no rank. That is more and more naked, more and more vulnerable, less and less attain power. So this practice is not about attaining you know, some kind of amazing strengths of character. It's becoming more and more vulnerable, more and more human, more and more naked, raw. So if your understanding isn't, and again, this is, this is, you're listening to my take on this, and I invite you to, do your own. If this is what you're hoping to achieve, uh, I think you're going to be disappointed. All of these misunderstandings sort of share a general, a general uh, expectation in one form or other. Another way of putting this is that some people think that by meditating, you're always going to have a positive attitude. That, like I, I'm a Zen priest, and I never get depressed. 
because I've practiced for over 30 years. And I never get anxious. And I never am angry with anybody. And I never get sick. I, I, I never get a cold because I'm realized. And this idea that I'm always going to be positive. I'm always going to see the bright side of things. I'm never going to, um, never going to see the negative. It's the power of positive thinking. That's what, that's what meditation is going to bring me. That's not what we're about here. We're about being in life as it is. And so, in an odd sense, <clears throat> Buddha's robe, when, when Buddha, actually Buddha didn't sew his robe, uh, his assistant Ananda did, but he had the idea for it. And the idea of the robe, which is, this is a miniature version of the robe. And you can see that it's made out of all small pieces of material. Uh, when you're priest-ordained, and some, someday I'll wear my priest robes, um, you, you get a big version of this. And you kind of wrap it around, wrap it around yourself as a, as a sign of demotion. Um, but what Buddha did was he collected all kinds of discarded materials. And there's a whole list of these materials in, um, in Dogen's work, great work, Shobogenzo. Um, materials that come from a funeral shroud, just rags that have been discarded on the street. Um, menstrual cloth that has been bloodied. Uh, they say cloth chewed by an ox, cloth chewed by mice. Um, basically, um, pieces of cloth that have been used and have been discarded as useless and as meaningless and actually as kind of dirty, profane. And Buddha took all of those pieces of material and constructed a sacred garment out of those materials. So our practice is making sacred what we would ordinarily regard as ordinary, which is this life in all of its ups and downs, ins and outs, what we would call positivities and negativities, the entire range, and particularly those things we don't want to look at, things that we uh, 
regard as dirty, as negative, as unacceptable, as inhuman, to take all of it just as it is and to sacralize that, to make our ordinary life sacred. This is all we have. There is no special state. Bliss, equanimity, all of that unicorns and confetti and shooting stars and all of that fantasy that we create for ourselves because we don't see the sacredness of every single moment. which we call, well, just ordinary. This is just ordinary. But I'm here to get into some kind of extraordinary, religious, spiritual state. This is it. What could be more extraordinary than this? You know, sometimes I, I look at my hand and I go, Wow. Look at that. I I don't need to I mean another another way of of regarding this practice is as some sort of drug which numbs us or elevates us and you know if we see deeply if we pay attention to everything that's in front of us, moment after moment, we, there's nothing more to seek. There's nothing more to attain. And that includes us. We think we should be something, something more than we are, something different from what we are. Where do we get that idea? <coughs> and we we spend our lives attaining, attaining this. I call them post-its, post-its. Mother, daughter, teacher, gardener, uh, whatever, whatever your great cook, great scientist, great karate master, you know, all of this, you know, we have all over ourselves. What, when we come here, we don't know anything about, unless we start jabbering, we don't know anything about each other. Who cares? We don't care. I don't care. I just want to practice with you. just want to practice with one another just being human, just being naked, just being, not having to prove anything or establish any status or prestige, which we're doing constantly. And so also this practice is not about a badge. Even though, you know, here it is. It's not about this. And in a way this is here as, as we sometimes say in Buddhist practice, if you see the Buddha, 
kill the Buddha. Because it's not about that. So in a way, I have to constantly be reminded that it's not about this. <laughs> and this is here to remind me of that. I'm not wearing it as a badge. It's, it's part of my own... Sometimes I do. I have to admit that. Sometimes I, I do because I practiced for a long time and I want everybody to know that. <laughs> but then, but then, I take a breath and I look at this and I, it's just a piece of cloth, ultimately. And that's just a statue. And this is just an impermanent building that in a hundred years will probably not be here. So, although I hope it is. So, there's a, I guess a fad now about meditation and uh, how meditation rewires your brain, right? You know all about that. This practice is not about rewiring your brain. Although it might, it might do all the things that I've just said are demeaning to the practice. It might do all of that, and it probably does. But it's not about those things. So that's the, the illogic, in a sense, the illogic. It is about this, and it isn't about this. It is about all those things because nothing is to be discarded. Nothing, even our misunderstandings. That's the, that's the crazy logic of Zen. Yes and no. So, to respect the three treasures, not to demean the three treasures, is to know that the miracle is not to walk on water. The miracle is to walk on earth. <laughs>